Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of The Daily Mirror and Dominic Fifield of The Guardian. This is where it gets real. The last 16 of the Champions League has lived up to expectations. Chelsea have drawn Barcelona and Tottenham have to deal with Juventus. Liverpool, Man United and Manchester City have winnable ties against Porto, Seville and Basel respectively. Oh, and there's the little matter of Real Madrid against PSG. What stands out for you, Darren? <laughs> Where do you start? I mean, apart from the clash of the cash, which is obviously Real Madrid against PSG, uh, you have got Chelsea-Barcelona, which is um, a story in, what, seven or eight parts over many years. Uh, but I do like Juventus against Spurs. You know, it's fresh, it's new in terms of Tottenham dealing with yet another big gun. Uh, and the fact that they only seem to turn up against the heavyweights now. We wrote them off in the group of death. They came out and they won that. I'm really, really interested to see how they get on against another uh, champion, genuine champion in the next stage. Mm, you're likely, presumably, Dom, to do Barcelona and Chelsea, aren't you? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that, that's sort of a throwback to the, I don't know, the glory days of Chelsea in the Champions League, really. And it's not that long ago, but it was the semi-final back in 2012. Um, we all remember the amazing 2-2 draw at Camp Nou. Um, and I think they, it's something that Chelsea have missed in recent years. They'll be relieved not to have got PSG because that was getting a bit tiresome. <laughs> um, but it's a great tie. It's fantastic. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how Conte addresses it and what state Chelsea are in going over there, or certainly welcome, welcoming Barca first up, aren't they, in February, March time, because that, that squad will need reinforcing in January. If they can find people who are eligible for the Champions League, then brilliant, um, fantastic. But he'll have to come up with a plan. There'll have to be some kind of tactical plan to, to negate Barcelona's attacking intent. And uh, he's the man to do it, but whether he'll have the players to do it remains to be seen. Mm, is there a sense that the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid, to a degree, are more vulnerable than they are, they are usually? I think it's definitely uh, Real Madrid. Uh, they do look to have lost their spark. OK, they were 5-0 winners at the weekend over Sevilla. But in the league, they're not doing as well as they have done in recent years. They're third uh, at the moment. Uh, Valencia splitting them and Barcelona. Barcelona, again, not quite the force they were, but still quite tasty. Uh, and I wouldn't fancy Chelsea's chances against the likes of Messi and Suarez, who, as we all know, can win a game on his own. Yeah, and he got a goal, didn't he, at the weekend, which he needed, actually. Absolutely. And I, I think 
they've started, ironically, I, I think they've not quite, even though they do lead the Spanish title race, I don't quite think they've hit top gear yet. And I think that may well come in the second half of the season in stark contrast to Chelsea, who I, I think have been unconvincing all season, save for the odd decent result. We were in uh, Spain for Atletico Madrid, but uh, it, it really, they've been very patchy. And I was at the game against uh, West Ham. They look tired, they look pre predictable. And yeah, they do need freshening up in uh, January. Otherwise, I think Barcelona will blow them away. Mm. The worry is, and we're both in Rome for the uh, the Roma-Chelsea game and, and it was Roma's movement that killed Chelsea that day and, and you know, Barcelona will be doing that in spades yeah, I mean, they'll be doing it'll be far more far harder to, to pin down so he needs he needs to arrive at that tie with you'd suspect uh, David Luiz playing more like David Luiz yeah. uh, from last season um, I have quite a lot of faith in, in Andreas Christensen I think he, yeah. he might mm. write he's bedded in well hasn't he yeah he really has he's been really impressive and but that will be a different kind of test for him. Um, but it's not one that he hasn't done before. He has confronted good teams in the Champions League with Borussia Mönchengladbach over the years. So um, got quite a lot of faith in him. But you know, they've got they've got some experienced players who have won the Champions League in their ranks, Luis and, and Cahill amongst them. So it's it's not all doom and gloom. But they're going to have to remember how how good they can be. I think a big part of the problem is the fact that we saw on Saturday against West Ham, if you silence Hazard, you basically cut off a lot of the creativity in the Chelsea Barca team. Barca won't do that, will they? And Barca, won't, Barca will trust themselves to, to dazzle in, in, in their own way. They won't, they won't go man-mark even now. But as I was saying, that, 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 that's an, among the number of problems they have because even if you don't decide to silence any one of their players and you decide to go on the front foot, as we saw with Roma, um, and to a certain extent with Atletico Madrid, who are finding their form again uh, as well, if you get at Chelsea, they are they do have weak points in that side, uh, and I think Barcelona, their movement is outstanding. We, there's nothing to say about Barcelona. We know all about the fact that they can dazzle you with their movement, with their cutting edge, with their creativity. But uh, And they are not just one man. I know there is that, that fallacy that they is all about Messi, but they have other players in that team uh, who can uh, kill you as well. So I think they've got a real problem trying to cope with them. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see Fabregas against Barcelona. I can't wait to see Morata against yeah. Barcelona. Otherwise, I think it's going to be that'll be fantastic. That'll be really good mm. because it, it is a rite of passage now. Isn't it? This is, as I said, you know, this is where it gets real. Mm. Let's look at Tottenham. Um, they need big result in Europe to reaffirm their potential, don't they? Uh, well, they do. I mean, we don't know what state they'll be in the league with, and they might have gone on a, a blinding run. We saw on Saturday that maybe that maybe that victory over Stoke is the beginning of a of another spell of impressive league form. I think they've had they've made the statement in Europe this season, Spurs, with that with the performances against Real Madrid. I, mm. I mean, they were excellent at home, but I thought they were superb in the Bernabeu, just absolutely magnificent. Okay, you can say Real maybe are aging a bit, possibly. Um, maybe the familiarity and they, they, maybe they suffered raising their game having won the championship, Champions League in the last couple of seasons but but that was still an impressive performance from Spurs um, and yeah, they, they, they know they're capable of that and I don't think they'll go to Juventus and that new stadium has been a graveyard for some English teams not least Chelsea in recent seasons um, they'll go there with the belief that they can achieve something remarkable and, and if they get past Juventus, then well, I mean that is a massive statement to to get past Real Madrid and Juventus in a in a single Champions League. Yeah, season. absolutely. No one be able, will be able to question uh, the quality of their campaign if they were to get past uh, out of a group including Dortmund yeah. and Real Madrid, yeah. and then get past Juventus as well. But I tell you what, last 
week there was a really interesting press conference with Pochettino where quite unprompted actually a, a couple of the journalists asking him about January and the, the potential for buying players and Pochettino kind of hinted at suggestions that he needs far more than he's getting he wasn't happy with the summer business he seems to suggest and and as really was saying, look, this is the time where we've got to make a real impact in the transfer market. I think they need someone else to take the burden of creativity off Christian Eriksen. Mm. Um, they need more, I, I think they possibly need another striker because Lorente got a goal the other night in the Champions League, uh, dead rubber, but effectively he is not really taking the pressure off Harry Kane. When you look at these heavyweight teams in Europe, they've got depth, they've got players to come in if your leading lights aren't doing the business. At the moment, Lorente's not an understudy for Harry Kane. He's a natural right? sort of fourth striker, isn't he? Exactly, the... exactly. But he isn't somebody that... You look at Manchester City at the very top. If Jesus doesn't play, Aguero does. You know, that's the kind of calibre you're talking about. Spurs don't have that at the moment. They need a big January transfer window to bring in two or three players, not just for the Champions League, but to kind of... At the moment, they're like a piece of driftwood moving away from the top four. I think they need the, the signings that are going to, A, give the competition for places and B, reinvigorate that side and get them back towards the Champions League. You record. don't seriously think they're going to do that in January, do you? I mean, how, how, that, how would, why would they shatter a wage system in January, mid-season? Because they'd have to do that. If they're going to bring in players who are getting into the first team, they're going to have to bring them in on far greater wages than they're even paying their current No, you're absolutely players. right. And it's I think not going to do that mid-season. It kind of sums up the problem that they have because, you know, they are at risk of losing Toby Alderweireld because they can't give him wages that matches market value. Uh, and it's a big conundrum for Spurs because if they want to maintain their place at the top table, you know, and they've been there now in successive seasons with Pochettino, then they have to make that kind of tough decision mm. where they do break that wage structure. Because the reality is... Yeah. Their greatest achievement, as you rightly said, Dom, was was those um, Real Madrid matches. Mm. What was the mood around that? It was all about Real Madrid coming in for Kane, Ali is going to be the next global superstar, Christian Eriksen might go to Barcelona. That's going to be a, a narrative of the rest of the season, probably going into the next season. Of course it will, it? yeah. It will be... I suspect it probably will be even when they're in their new stadium and with the redeveloped Wild Lane. I, I, at some point they will have to bite the bullet. Um, I mean, I'm one of those people that actually thinks that they, they do things the right way, but the fact is that everybody else does things differently and, are, and throw more money at the, at the issues. I mean, we're even talking teams in the lower half of the Premier League, even in the bottom three of the Premier League, who pay more money per week than Spurs do mm. in basic wages. Um, and that is not sustainable. That level of ambition isn't sustainable if you want to be competing in the Champions League. So you, you kind of underlined my point. That's why January is so pivotal for them, because it's a point at which they have to bite the bullet. Either they do break the wage structure, A, look after the players that are already there doing the business, but B, bring in the quality that are going to get them closer to the top four and help them to be able to compete against Juve. Because if they get wiped out and they're outside the top four, they go back to where they were couple of seasons ago playing in the Europa League game they don't want that they see themselves now as a Champions League stroke title competing side mm. and club on that theme to continue it if you if you look at it Liverpool on the face of it have got a good draw against Porto but until they play that match which is what mid-February there will be Coutinho 2 won't there there'll be another saga the sequel Willie won't he mm -hmm. um, how will Klopp deal with that He'll just say he's not for sale in January. 
I mean, I just think it's that simple. It's, they're not going to sell him in, in the summer. They won't sell him in January. They just, they just, unless he goes on strike, which I guess he could, but he doesn't seem to be that kind of character, really, um, to do that mid-season, be that disruptive. I, I suspect that he's, he's convinced to stay until the end of the, end of the season and then we'll, we'll re revisit the issue um, <laughs> again in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it'll happen, won't it? It's, 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 I, I don't think these, these clubs who ha have ambitions to... I'm not, I'm not going to say win the Premier League title this season because I think that's done and dusted almost already. But finishing the top four in the Premier League and c continuing maintaining their presence in the in the Champions League and even potentially getting into the latter stages of the Champions League this season, they're not going to sell their crown jewels mid-season. They're just not going to do it. They don't need to do it. They're not financially obliged to do it. Um, it's just not going to happen. I was in Singapore um, when the first bid came in uh, from Barca for... Uh, Coutinho and speaking to Liverpool people there they were saying and they made it very clear to us when we were preparing our stories and trying to get some insight and they were saying we are not going to sell him there were stories appearing here in England about the fact that a delegation was supposedly going over there to meet them they said who are they going to meet you know the people who do the deals for us are in, 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 in the UK a and B, we are not selling him. There isn't an amount of money that will come up this summer that will convince us to sell. And what happened was the whole misinformation machine in Spain was basically suggesting that negotiations were underway and that there was a fee at which Liverpool would sell. And they were telling us every time we spoke to them, we are not selling. And Dom and I, we both know, we, you, sometimes you deal with clubs and they put um, a negotiating position out there or you know they mm -hmm. give us... A brief but isn't quite there but they've been very steadfast in their belief and and their and that all of the signals they gave us were that they were not selling then they put the statement out saying we will not sell him in this window and they've stuck to their guns i can't see that would change in january next summer might be different because obviously you know it's all up for grabs again and he'll make another pitch having put a transfer request in this summer but during this current season he will not leave that club because mm. we all know have these things work. It's, it's behind the hand, whispers, off the record conversations. You know, and I'm told from the Barcelona end that essentially the contact was made on a personal basis with Coutinho and the club were actually in the end getting very impatient with him, basically saying, look, you've got to be harder. If you want to come to here, you've got to put yourself out there. That's a legal approach, isn't it? That's what it is. <laughs> Doesn't it? I know it happens it? all the time, but all if the... that, it's that brazen, then... Then, um... Barcelona illegal approach. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the reality of it. I mean, that, and that will just sour relations between the two clubs and make a deal mid-season even less likely to happen. Yeah, yeah. Look at um, the derby, if we could, and, and, and specifically Jurgen Klopp's response to it. He, he was very brittle in that post-match interview. But did he overthink the whole thing with so many changes? I, I think so. I think so. What what he's very keen to do is to make sure he's not caught in a similar situation to last year, where it, he had lots of injuries because he was he was playing his strongest side very very often, too often, and he, he was still getting to grips with the congested fixture list. This time around, he's one, he's managing his squad, and I got a lot of sympathy for the fact that he's very keen to make sure that his key players don't have too many miles on the clock going into the busy period. However. When you kind of explain away Salah not uh, Salah coming off early in the match in the derby, 
you can't do that by saying that he's got too many miles on the clock when you've played him all for the whole 90 minutes against Spartak Moscow in midweek in the Champions League. You should have taken him off at 3-0 or 4-0. You quite clearly had that game won um, against a side that were rolling over. Um, and I think he, he's made a mistake there and sometimes it's better just to accept it and move on. Um, he is frustrated because they dominated that match so completely. I think it was 24 attempts on uh, goal compared to just three for Everton. They were clearly the better side. But um, I think he regrets making the changes that he did because obviously he regrets Sadio Mane shooting when he could have squared it for Salah as well. But I think essentially he regrets making the decisions that he did. Mm. With Liverpool, you know, and we are focusing on January, they eventually got to get round to sorting out that defence. Yeah, well, yes, you'd like to think that they would recruit a centre half at some point. But again, I would be surprised if they managed to get the type of player they need in January. I, just, I mean, where are they going to where are they going to find one that that they can they can secure mid season? And they couldn't get Virgil Van Dijk in the summer. They they, they made such a mess of that situation and, and their pursuit of of him. Um, I guess they could they could see whether um, Southampton might be more willing to negotiate mid-season, but I doubt that very much they would be. I mean, just look, if they're going to buy another Premier League club, and that's the type of player they're looking at, that type of calibre of player, virtually every club from about eighth place, ninth place down is still got the doubt about the relegation scrap. They're still looking over their shoulders slightly uh, as to what, what's going on near the foot. So you're not going to let an elite player go mid-season if, if he is somebody that you're, you're reliant upon at the back. And I, I just, if they go abroad and they find someone, then it's, then it's a risk dropping them into the Premier League mid-season. I, I think this is where I love him comes to an end here because I think they might well try to get Van Dijk. Oh yeah, they might, I'm not saying they might try, but they, they won't get him. Well, it's interesting because I think that he, he's realised he possibly stands more of a chance of everything being done the way he wants to, by knuckling down and contributing, rather than going on strike. He'll deny he went on strike, but rather than taking the attitude that he did uh, during the summer, which was, that's it, I'm done with the club, transfer request in, don't care about the relationship with the fans, I just want to get what I want. Because in Southampton, Turner said, actually, we want to get what we want, which is you staying here. Um, and they've managed to win that so far. But I think if Liverpool do things by the book and while we're out there they were telling us that the relationship between them and Southampton had been repaired at the highest level mm -hmm. um, and so they felt that if they do things the right way and they would only wait for Southampton to decide themselves they wanted to sell then maybe they might still get the player. Um, Why would Southampton sell mid-season? Mm, well, and also they've got an important point of principle to protect, haven't they? Well, they do, but essentially the player does want to go. And I think if they were to make them an offer that they can't refuse, it might be better for them all to move on. Listen, Van Dijk is obviously a very good player. Would you say he's been outstanding for Southampton so far this season? I'd say no. He's been OK. But, you know, if they are at a point where... They, and we know Southampton are better than most clubs at identifying players that fit into their system uh, and, and obviously they can develop to become uh, the best they can be, then 
maybe it works for them. I still see a scenario where Van Dijk could go to Liverpool in January. I, I'm, I'm with Mike. I think that psychologically it would send out completely the wrong message mm. to Southampton supporters if they suddenly caved in and said, OK, actually, it will accept a £80 million bid now. What are they going to do with that money in mid-season? But they could get relegated. Aren't Southampton that? supporters used to that kind of message? They've had it time and again. You can go through I don't think Southampton half the Liverpool this, team. <laughs> they've never been this vehement. I mean, that's the point. Half the Liverpool team is from Southampton because Southampton have let them, mm. let them go. Mm. This time they didn't. This time they said, no, sorry, you're staying. You're, 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 we're not selling you. We don't need to sell you. Yeah, the point was made to me. It was, look, if we do this, we, well, before they, they had to make that decision, they knew that every player, every agent, every other club in the Premier League was watching. And if they succumbed, it meant they were easy meat. Yeah. In, in theory, it does. But, but at the same time, you know, the player himself has been making it very clear that he wants to go. Um, and if he were really pulling up trees in the Southampton shirt, I could see why they would say no. It serves our purpose for you to stay. I, I completely understand about messages and the PR of the whole situation. But I think they've won that PR battle already. They've got him back in a shirt. They've got him at least playing for the club and knuckling down. Now they can win that second half of the battle by getting top dollar for him and moving on. Liverpool get their player and everyone's happy. I still can see it happening. Mm. Is Jose Mourinho actually going to be happy for once that they've got a decent draw. He won't sort of read anything into it. You know, Sevilla is a good draw, you know, even though Liverpool allowed them back from 3-0 very recently. Yeah, I mean, he probably would admit it. And he'll probably say that playing any Spanish club's difficult. Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's a good draw. And, and the fact that Liverpool could, even that, in that first half, could, could run right to the extent they did... It's a good sign for Manchester United. I think I think United City will, will both be and Liverpool will, be, will all be quite quietly confident that they've got enough to get past those op opponents, D despite the fact that each will pose a, a certain problem. Porto, unbeaten, top of the Portuguese league, was a ridiculous. We were looking up 31 goal difference after 14 matches. <laughs> I mean, it's utterly ridiculous, isn't it? But um, so Basel, we all know that they they've caused English clubs problems in the past. Um, at St Jakob Park in particular, um, it's, it won't be straightforward, but you'd expect um, City to, to ease through on that tie as well. So I think those three clubs can, can look at the draw with, you know, with a certain confidence um, and, and hope that uh, Spurs and Chelsea you know, go for broke in, the, in their ties and, and are exhausted by them in terms of domestic football as well. I think the interesting thing for United's tie in particular is that I, I still think... It may well be a couple of days or so before they start to really think about that time because I think Mourinho in particular will be licking his wounds from yesterday. Yeah, the, 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 the milk the, and the uh, water off. Yeah, and the milk and the water off his suit, yeah, and off his face. I think um, that defeat to City was so chastening for Mourinho mm. that getting a favourable draw possibly... It, It'll be a couple of days before, but before he kind of really satisfies, before it sinks in, if you like, because I think we saw his limitations. He's got a wonderful team, a wonderful squad, but so too do City. And the approach with the City's team and the City squad and the City management is completely different to Mourinho's. And I just don't understand why you could spend so much money on a football team and on a squad 
and have the mentality to park the bus against a bit, you know, a comparable, a side of comparable ability, rather than go out and express yourself. And comparable cost. And comparable cost, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, United have a tradition of going on the front foot, of dying with their boots on, even if they do lead. Okay, there have been years when, you know, they've, they've cut their cloth accordingly, but he spent a huge amount of money on that team. And yet he was humbled, he was embarrassed by Manchester City. Um, did he also embarrass himself? Because it's, it's a bit of a tricky one, Dom, really. We should here be sitting and talking about Manchester City's fantastic achievement. 14 straight wins, 11 points clear, to all intents and purposes, Premier League champions by Christmas. Yet we're focusing and the headlines have all been dominated today by the brawl in the tunnel, allegedly begun by Mourinho demanding respect, which made me laugh when I saw that, to be perfectly honest. Let's look at that incident. What are the broader issues that that encapsulates? Do we have to look at the way managers handle themselves in those situations? Well, well yeah, although it's not... It's not the, I mean, there have been great managers in the past that have been embroiled in, uh, in it's not least at Old Trafford when pizza's been flying around the place. I mean, it's, it's, there, there's a, there is a lack of class there. Um, I mean, Mourinho would argue that the City players were showing a lack of class with their celebrations, but, you know, come on, it's, they've just won the derby at Old Trafford. Uh, even, even if they're celebrating with loud music and spilling out the dressing room, so be it. That's it. Just have to. Sometimes you just have to take that. You just lost to them. Um, it's, we usually end up saying that that he's highlighting these incidents to deflect, but he didn't mention them post match at all, did he? In his in his no. media duties. Um, and you're right. It, it is now. It is now the potential for for one or both clubs to be charged by the FA, which is dominating the headlines, and we should really be talking about, as Daz has mentioned, a, a fantastic Manchester City performance at, at local rivals. Should managers behave well? Yes, but, you know, for, for our industry, it's great they don't behave themselves all the time, <laughs> let's be honest. It, it adds to the drama of it. And um, I, I, quite like, I quite like the fact that, I mean, I don't, I don't always agree with what Mourinho comes out with, but I, I like the fact that, that football still, Embraces this passion within within people, even if it's even if it's not in the right expressed in the right way. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's it's quite reassuring to see that clubs who are such lavishly assembled still and the teams just get so into into a, a fixture of that that magnitude that that you know that, that they they go mad celebrating post match and they go mad at the celebrations post match. Yeah, but isn't the difference, Darren, that actually <coughs> Mourinho's response was almost self-regarding in other words how dare you do that to me <laughs> don't uh, you think well to a certain extent yes and i think um the, uh, the hypocrisy of it is breathtaking when you consider this is a man who announced himself to our game by running down a touchline and celebrating come on um I, I think it hurts him i think it hurts him to know that city are better I think it hurts him to know that he's been embarrassed in front of his own fans and in front of the millions of people watching. Oh, billion, wasn't it? Uh, billion, absolutely. Um, I think it hurts him to know that his philosophy is being shredded, yeah, his mentality um, has been shown up. Um, and, and so 
all of those things combined yesterday. Um, he's a sore loser, but, you know, hey, we'll take sore losers all day in football because that's what you want. Last season he had at Stamford Bridge, um, succession of teams won at Stamford Bridge that year. Palace, Bournemouth, Southampton, Liverpool, Tubman all came there and won. And each time, the, the, the media room at Stamford Bridge is right next to the away dressing room, so you could, you could hear the music pumping into, in the post-match celebrations. And it happened virtually every other week in that period. <laughs> so he would have been sick and tired. It's not a new thing. Right. It stung him this one because it's Manchester City and it's Pep Guardiola and it's, you know, the, the, it's, as some of the papers I've read today, in Herbert wrote a great piece in the, in the Mail. City have overtaken United. Yeah. Their team is better. Yeah. It's just better than United's. But is, is it that the yeah, team are better is. or is it that the philosophies of the two managers are different? Because no one is telling me that that United side doesn't have quality components. No, but, it's, but we it's, talked it's, about Marsh. Better quality, I think. I think City have got better quality throughout. They're, they're far more of the, fi the finished article now than United are. United's still got a sort of makeshift feel to it all. A few players that are left over from previous regimes. Um, a few that he's bought in for massive money, as you said, um, and he's pointed to the absentees. But you know, I mean, City had there was no John Stones. Vincent Company comes off at half time. Um, Aguero didn't come off the bench, did he? I mean, it's it's. I just think that City have got a complete feel to them now, and that I mean, De Bruyne, David Silva, Fernandinho, even Raheem Sterling. Are we saying that a United player would have would have knocked any of them out of combined team? Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Rashford takes some shifting out of a, of, a, of, a, of a combined team, I would say. Martial, we talked about him as if he was one of the next big things when he arrived at the club. Huge reputation. We know his potential. Um, you know, you look around. Listen, City have teams that are from previous regimes as well. Your Mangalas, your Fernandinho's. Um, Maybe the I, coaching's better in that, that in terms of... Well, isn't, isn't that the, the key? The approach is it, very you look, you look at that, that City team and you can see how it's been improved on the training ground. Yes. Yes. You look at sort of uninspiring, underwhelming yes. players like a Fabian Delph, but like an Otamendi, who suddenly become key figures. Yeah. But, you know, but City's, City's appointment of Pep Guardiola, I mean, I know officially it wasn't, but it was, a, it was planned for years. And the, the recruitment in the market was planned at some stage in the future. These guys will be coached by they Pep Guardiola. Yeah. United's been a bit all over the shop since post-Fergie. I mean, different types of manager coming in. Van Gaal just, you know, was uncomfortable fit. David Moyes, obviously. And Mourinho suddenly there. I just think that City, there's a, there's a strategy and it's, it's flowed through into and allowed Guardiola... Okay, look, it didn't go well last season, did it? We were sitting here saying how it was all falling flat on its face last mm. season. But, but the process, there's a logic to it and a flow to it. And United just feels a bit clunky and awkward. Uh, what, what I would say, look, he hasn't won the league yet. He no, does look sure. as though he's going to. We're talking about it as if... I can't, I can't. I, I, to be honest, I'd give, give him the title now. I'd no. give him the trophy now, no. wouldn't you? Come on. No, Gary Neville was talking on the TV about the fact that he remembers being 13 points clear once of Arsenal and, 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 and losing the title. So, I mean, you know... I think as can't hard as, see it there. I really no, can't. It, it, and that's fine. It's fine not to be able to see it. But we've got five months to go, and we've got what Champions League. We've got the domestic cup competitions. They have been brilliant, absolutely, and they deserve all the credit that we're giving them. But I don't think that we should suddenly sit here and say, you know, it, it's all over. 
with five months to go. I mean, we, we, I think we should appreciate what they've done for now, but I still think there is a hell of a long way to go. If they were to lose key players, and Gary Neville was talking about the, the reason why that lead was eaten into was because they lost Schmeichel, they lost Keane, they lost key players during a, a, a successive period for maybe a month at a time. I'm not saying that's going to necessarily happen, mm. but we in football have seen many times where big leads have been wiped out. What we can say is that they've been magnificent. And what, they, what we can say is that they look as though they're going to change the game and they've made us all eat humble pie because we believe that it would be a far tougher achievement to dominate the Premier League like Pep Guardiola did in, in, in Spain, like he did in Germany. We thought it'd be much harder here. And here he is 11 points clear, 14 points clear of the third place team. Mm. I'm going to double down on that, actually, because are we at the start of a dynasty here? <laughs> How so you disagree with it? Yeah. <laughs> the thing about talking about dynasties is that Pep Guardiola doesn't really deal in them. I mean, Guardiola will only stay a, a few years. He's so intense mm -hmm. that the burnout will happen. And, and you know, he, he may only be there for a, one or two more years beyond this one. Arguably, I don't know how long his contract is. It was a three-year contract. Yeah, three -year. Right, so he could, he could, he may need another sabbatical and move on. And, and it then becomes intriguing how they su succeed Pep Guardiola and, and what is the next stage um, I mean Barcelona didn't find it particularly easy did they to, to succeed him um, in fact you could argue the same for Bayern Munich even though they won the league domestically and Carlo didn't work out Carlo Ancelotti did mm. not work out so talk of dynasties is is it's maybe from a bygone era actually and maybe the money that's swelling around in the Premier League now doesn't allow a team to dominate for a dynasty, but but the philosophy there, yeah. which I'll argue they're in the middle of a dynasty on that on that basis because it probably it predates Pep Guardiola. It's almost it almost dates from the moment that City thought one day we're going to get him because they've got the super club model, haven't they? Oh yeah, which, absolutely. Which is a global network of but it's, clubs. It's whether the Premier League, with its comp competition levels amongst the top five or six clubs allows a super club model to dominate and I'm not sure it does I, I think I think there are other clubs in there that, that can throw just as much money around and and win a title I mean Chelsea have won two of the last three yeah, seasons yeah. and we shouldn't forget that mm. um, it's I, I think I don't think we'll ever see a well ever it's ridiculous but I, I don't think we're gonna we're, we're now like to see Man City win the title for the next five or six years because I think there's there is too much competition too much potential competition in that top six for that to happen. Yes, and it's interesting when you say, and I agree with you, there are other clubs that can spend just as much money. But those clubs don't, I, I don't think, have the same approach to the way they play. I remember saying on, on, on the show before, Pep Guardiola's teams imposed their will on you home or away. We were at Chelsea and they went there and dominated a side, a very accomplished team, um, completely. You know, they've gone to, 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 to uh, Manchester United and dominated them completely, you know, embarrassingly. So the fans are sh shouting attack, attack, attack in the stand. Um, there was that period towards the end of the game where they had the ball in the corner by the corner flag for about three minutes. You know, the, uh, it was, it's other teams can spend the money. But the Guardiola approach to the way they play, the way they express themselves, uh, the way they dominate and impose their will, I don't think other clubs match that. I think other clubs are much more pragmatic about nicking a win here or there. 
but they that's might why it's such a success. Other clubs may... I mean, other clubs will be chastened by what's happening this season. 14 wins, likely to be extended, whatever. If they win the league, if they win the league easily, yeah. you'd expect a response from the other clubs. And they have to... In Spain, that may not happen. In, in Germany, that may not happen. But I think in this country, um, if, if City have walked away with the Premier League by 20 points, that is unacceptable to a lot of yes. the hierarchies of the other clubs. You know Chelsea well. Um, OK, there's a degree that they can rehabilitate themselves. They're playing Huddersfield um, on, uh, on Tuesday. Um, their previous suggests that when they feel that they are inferior, they shoot first and ask questions later. Do you expect that Conte will come under a lot of pressure because of what's gone on at Manchester City? Well, I've, yeah, I've said it before. I don't think I don't think Antonio Conte will be there next season. Um, I think I think that's actually got its roots in what happened in the summer, though. Um, I don't think they're. I think they're titled. I mean, it is fairly exceptional circumstances when when a team have done what City have done. Uh, so, you know, there will be a few clubs. I think Chelsea will look at that quite rationally and think, okay, well, maybe. Maybe we weren't quite ready to compete at that level and didn't have the depth across our squad to compete in the Premier League and the Champions League and to stay closer to City and possibly we should have spent more money. I think they might, within that hierarchy of the club, there might just be a little concession there that possibly we could have spent more money in the summer. But but I'm not sure how long Conte will put up with it. That's the, that's the thing. I'm, I think they'll try and spend money in January and that... If they succeed, that will make ensure that they finish at least top four, which appears to be what the manager is now targeting. I think they'll finish top four comfortably, personally, for all that they're having these blips, and that's four defeats out of sixteen, which before Christmas, which is, you know, which is not particularly Conte-esque. Mm. Um, but I still think that the damage was done in the summer, and that's a schism there, but really between between board and manager or head coach, and I think eventually. They will go their separate ways, probably in the summer, um, once Champions League football has been secure for next season. Mm. And if we assume that United will spend money, in, because that is their... More money. Yeah, more money, <laughs> even more money. Um, what about Lukaku? It's open season on them now, isn't it? It is. Is that fair? And do you expect them to put more pressure on by going out and trying to get another striker? Well... First of all, I think the, the pressure on Lukaku is unfair because I think he is a quality striker um, and he's proven his ability uh, at his previous club and in a Manchester United shirt. He's going through um, a barren run, relatively speaking, but he is a quality striker and if you use him the right way, he will get you goals. His strength is his pace, his power, running onto balls and his composure in the box. And I think if you if you play the right way, and if you look at the way that United played yesterday, he was isolated for much of the game. And so what could he do? Uh, I think, and so what happens is, when there is criticism of the side, he gets, he's a lightning rod for that. But I don't think it's his fault. Uh, I think in terms of getting another striker in, again, Mourinho talked about this as well. My strikers are not getting enough goals. Most clubs in the Premier League would love the, the forward line that year, Marshall, Mata. Um, okay, Mata's more of a sort of attacking midfielder. Mm. Um, Rashford, Zlatan, Lukaku. I mean, 
goodness me, what, what you're talking about some serious firepower there. If you are a striker and, and United approach you now and say, come and join us, why would I do that? You know, where am I going to play? When am I going to play? And, and, and that's the issue as far as United are concerned. They've got the players, but the approach at United is very different to the approach at City. Let's look very briefly, Dom, at uh, the approach at Arsenal. The fact that they're not in the Champions League, which is, you know, whatever we say, you know, the only game in town. Um, they got West Ham in midweek. There was a real sense of a lack of aggression, both in possession and out possession, um, on Sunday. Mm. Are they ripe for another crisis? Are we building up to another Christmas crisis at Arsenal? What constitutes a crisis at Arsenal these days? Remind me, is it, is it when they run out of white wine in the boardroom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I, from where their from where their squad is. Um, I think they're probably in about the right place at the moment in terms of the table and the title race, really, realistically. I think that's probably where the quality demands that they should be. I think there, there are elements of life at Arsenal which, is, which are quite encouraging. I, I quite like the way Jack Wilshere is getting back into some kind of favour. And Should he forward. play more regularly yeah. instead of Zaka, uh, Jacker? Well, yeah, although Jacker was, was playing quite well. Go back a month and he was... He was he, you know, he was he was he was playing well for them. He was in form, but but yeah, I think I think Wilshire, if he's if he's fit, if he's fit, we all the time. It's the same. It's a stat record. Everything about Arsenal. It's if he's playing well, he will be in that team, and that will be you know that's that's brilliant for Arsenal. It's great for their fans. It's great for Jack because it probably earned him a new contract, and it's great for England. It's great for Southgate to have him as an option if he's playing regularly for for Arsenal in the Premier League. Um, but I don't think I just think that it's an it's an imbalance as well. I don't think their backline's up up to it really to to sustain a challenge, um, and I think their 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 whole season's objective is to finish in the top four. That's the reality. That is where they're at, and mm. they'll have they'll have a few eye catching results. Mm. They'll have a few setbacks. Mm. That's just what life at Arsenal is. That's where that. Mm. What, what about life at West Ham, Darren? Um, they obviously got an awful lot out of that win on Saturday. Um, conversely, have we seen the end of Joe Hart as an England number one goalkeeper because I of that? I think we have. I think we have. It's going to be a while before he gets uh, the number one shirt back at West Ham. My understanding is that even before the game for which he couldn't play because of the terms of his loan agreement with uh, Manchester City. They'd already decided that the keeper for the subsequent game against Chelsea would be Adrian, uh, Joe Hart. You know the wonderful goal that Wayne Rooney scored at Goodison Park from just inside his own box when uh, Joe Hart races out of goal, instead of kicking it into touch, he plays it straight to the feet of Wayne Rooney. That's the kind of decision making that David Moyes hasn't been impressed with so far at uh, West Ham. and. Yeah, he's got big problems because Gareth Southgate has already said, look, if players are not playing regularly for their first teams, and I can't include them in my plans, for all the experience that Joe Hart does have, um, he, he won't now be able to call down the players at his club side and other players, you know, your Butlins, your Pickfords, who are doing better now and will improve for being managed by Sam Allardyce. Uh, they will be uh, in the box seat ahead of him. West Ham as a club, I think that they'll they'll do better. They'll buy in, in, in January and I think um, the confidence will rise because they're far more organised now and David Moyes is, is getting players to respond to his way of doing things. But I think Hart might well be the first casualty of his reign. Mm. 
some uh, questions from the listeners and the viewers. Um, one of your former managers at Crystal Palace gets a mention, uh, Dom. Uh, from I've never John... played for Crystal Palace. <laughs> <laughs> John Edwards, which club will panic and give Pulis a job next? <laughs> Let's see who's bottom of the Premier League on January the 1st. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one, that, because it, it obviously Tony Pulis' next job will be will have to be at a club that's that's fretting about relegation, but the team's down there. Um, I couldn't see him at Swansea. Well, could no, you? no, exactly. They, they, they were the. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Paul Clement, and I think the Swansea's hierarchy will will back him. And I think I get the impression that the signings they make next month have have been rubber stamped by Paul Clement, so there wouldn't be a lot of sense in sacking him now. Um, you know, but the other teams down there, Palace aren't going to reappoint him. West Brom aren't going to reappoint him. Mm. Um, I, I, you go, the, the team's in free fall. I mean, you're not, he's not going to go to a Newcastle. He's not going to... You, you wonder whether Brighton and Huddersfield might might struggle in the second half of the season. Well, they're not going to appoint Tony Poulis. It's, it is an interesting dilemma for him. But, but, the, the, but the one thing that was, is sure is that, you know, the next time somebody does panic near the foot and sacks their manager, and it's never far away... Tony Poulis will be prime candidate to take over. That's just the reality of it. There aren't any teams even in the in the championship that you look at and think It'd be maybe it'd have to be the Wales manager then, wouldn't it? Well, I, I was thinking that maybe it might be a national team job that might uh, appeal to him more um, and presumably one of those ones that hasn't made a major tournament. Uh, I think maybe he might be an option for them, but I can't really see a club side because if you go past all those clubs you're talking about, you're moving into the top half of the table. And all of those clubs would have ambitions on guys with a bigger profile. Yeah, we say that, but it's a, as I said earlier, I mean, it's basically the <coughs> top six and the other 14, isn't it? Or... Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. A couple of questions to finish on Man City, which I think is probably appropriate. Uh, from Tandy, has Edison been one of the signings of the summer and how key has he been to Manchester City's performances? Well... That save, the double save that he made yesterday against Lukaku probably preserved the points uh, yesterday. Um, I think it was Lukaku and Mata who followed up. Uh, as for the signing of the summer, I'm not quite sure he's actually been the signing of the summer because there have been quite a few very, very good captures. But to say that he's been important for City, yes, absolutely. Listen, when I first heard that they'd pay £35 million for Edison, I thought they... Maybe thought they thought he was a striker, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, no, but you've seen where that money has gone. He's composed. He's very good with his feet. Apparently, he started life as a left back, and that's why he's so accomplished with his feet. But plays foot, futsal as well, doesn't he? So. Yeah, he does, and 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 he's a very very good, composed, um, agile, and uh, listen, several levels up on Joe Hart. Mm. Uh, Davy Joe, an extension really to the initial question. He says, like, Jesus, Edison, Stones, Walker, Sane. Who's been City's best signing of the last few transfer windows and who will be the best in the long term? Um, well, we raised eyebrows when De Bruyne cost, what, what he cost, 50 million or something? Mm. No, like 54 million. 58. I mean, I remembered him from his sort of cameos at Chelsea and he wouldn't have, he he had something, but he he wasn't he wasn't the player that you think would 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 take the Premier League by storm. And obviously, Jose Mourinho didn't think he would be either. Um, I I still think he's he's my player my player of the season so far. I think he's been absolutely 
unbelievable. That said, Leroy Sane is is something else. Mm. When he gets when he gets running, um, his explosive power and grace on the ball whilst he's you know at searing pace is just it's just different class. And uh, I mean he's he's so young and he could dominate the Premier League for years. He he came. I thought he was brilliant in a young Germany team in that goalless draw with England last month. Um, he obviously. He could, he could, he could be gaining umpteen caps for Germany over the years. He could be, he could be a star at the World Cup in the summer as well. That's why his dynasty question was right. Maybe they are still young. Maybe. Just very quickly, I think John Stones. I remember the times when he get battered on Twitter after England games, after many City games as well, because of his willingness to play the ball out from the back. You look at the City defence now. He's a key component of that back line, and. You see, okay, yesterday was different, but in the previous three games, they struggled a little bit without him in the in defence. He'll be back soon, they'll be better for his return. But I think certainly he has been one of their best signings as well. Okay. Very, very briefly, is this the season an English team wins the Champions League? If yes. so, who? Yes, and I would say I'm going to go to City just because it's really easy. <laughs> Done. I think City will have the best chance of the English teams to win it. Um, my worry is whoever prevails in the Real Madrid PSG tie might um, provide a serious barrier to them doing so. Well, I'm going to go for City because there's going to be a dynasty there, you know. <laughs> Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.